0: Many weeks ago, Vern asked me if I would speak on the 15th, and I said, well, that's lots of time to prepare. So I said yes. Uh, Little did either of us know that I developed sciatica in the last few days, and uh, so standing is uh, difficult, but sitting on a hard chair is not bad at all. If you don't know what sciatica is, just thank God. (laughs) And, And if you do know, don't feel sorry for me. Uh, Some time ago, I was speaking to Danny, and we talked about the different stages in life, like youth, when are you young, 20, 21, 25? What's middle age, 45, 50, 55? Then the real question, when are you old? And Danny saw right through me and said, you're old. (laughs) (laughs) So anyhow, being old is an adjustment, you know, I always liked it when there was an older person I could open the door for them or I can let them go ahead etc. But now when people do that for me it's not quite as easy but anyhow I'm learning to live with it. But I noticed something else that generally when things get older they depreciate like when we speak about things aging we don't only talk about people we can talk about trees we can talk about cars we can talk about streets as they get older they tend to depreciate to a point and then I notice they start appreciating again. Suppose I drove onto the churchyard this morning with a 2016 Ford and parked it. Chances are nobody would notice. But if I drive onto the churchyard with my dad's 1949 Chevy Deluxe with wide white wall tires, fender skirts, and a big uh, sun visor, and even a radio, uh, people might take notice. And some enthusiasts might even take a walk around it. And so, uh, as things get older, they tend to increase in value. An old tree in the Holy Land, an old olive tree that's 1,000 years old, is almost revered. Or a 150-year-old grandfather clock is taken care of very carefully. may only be wound up when the family comes home. And so, uh, there are certain values that come with aging. Uh, so, it isn't all that bad. Not just anyone can grow gray hair, and uh, it takes time, and sometimes when the first ones appear, they get pulled out, but uh, uh, in time, we accept our lot in life as we move closer to the gate. So anyhow, many of us would wish we had learned some things in our youth, which we only learned later on in life, and uh, uh, Spanish philosopher George Santayana said, he made this statement, those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. So when aging people, aging people speak about their past, it may be of value to pay uh, some attention because those who don't may well find themselves struggling with the same problems that have already been solved in the previous generation. That quote, those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it, isn't in the Bible. Uh, you would think maybe Proverbs had something close to it, but it isn't. But it's a statement worth looking at. So whether we're young or old, one thing we can uh, safely take to heart is God's ageless word. It's not the wisdom of an aging person. It's not the wisdom of somebody who had some bright ideas. But it is the wisdom of the ageless one who sent his Holy Spirit to inspire certain men of God to put down words that will give us direction and help us to get the most out of this brief life that he has given us here on earth. He speaks to us clearly through his word. And this morning I'd like to draw your attention to some of the messages that we can clearly get from God's word. Uh, I'd like to speak about some of the things that God speaks to us about. One message from God is very basic and necessary. God simply says to us, Trust me. Can somebody give me a verse where God says, trust me? Yeah, that's, that's the one, I Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Yeah, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. When I was growing up, I really wanted to get some direction in life, and this verse was uppermost in my thinking. Trust in the Lord, and he will direct your paths. Yes, I was a bit naive. I really thought God would stop me the tracks one day, tap me on the shoulder and say, Reuben, you're going to be a farmer. And then I knew that would be my calling in life and that's what I'd do for the rest of my life. Well, God doesn't work that way. I found that he is much more into details of our life, not just a general overview and then lets us spin off. It never happened that way. God never did talk to me that way. It's also important that I left out part of the verse in my thinking. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now that takes a lifetime to understand that. What does it mean, with all your heart? Do I need to generate more faith and trust in God before he will direct my paths? Can I somehow generate a little more faith before he will show me his path? The best answer to this is found in the book of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar had become rather proud and uh, he had a golden image made for himself and uh, when the day came he invited the high officials, the officers, the uh, governors, the advisors to his kingdom to come and see and to worship this golden image that he'd made of himself. And he gave the instructions. Of course, I you know we're quite familiar with the story, that he had a great band there, and when the music stopped, they were all supposed to fall down and worship the image. And uh, just as a bit of an incentive, he added that anybody who didn't do this would be thrown into the fiery furnace. Talk about motivation! So, when the music stopped. Uh, everybody fell down well not everybody uh, somebody was a tattling there were some of those Jews that didn't fall down and uh, they always seemed to get ahead of all the others and they reported this to the king so the king speaks to them and says is it true Shadrach Meshach and Abednego that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statute I have set up now, these were leaders in this kingdom, and they'd earned some respect from him. But he's so proud in this great day, yet he really doesn't want to lose these men. So he continues, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statute I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, uh, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing fire furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power I can only imagine the calm reply from these three men who respectfully reply, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And then the real kicker. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Trust God with all your heart. Like saying, we will trust God completely, even if we burn up. If that's the path for us, we trust him with all our hearts. I wish I had trust like that. Often we might want to tell God what to do and then think it is faith as we wait for him to do as, exactly as we've told him. How foolish and short-sighted that I even dare to demand something of God. Then, if I don't get it, exactly what I asked for, I can be angry that God didn't answer my prayer, and he didn't come through as he promised. These three men could never imagine what God would do as a result of their faith in him. Not only did they walk out of that furnace, that not even smelling of smoke, but the king had a complete change of heart. The Bible says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing, ra- willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Trust in the Lord, with all your heart, and he will direct your paths. Danny, in some of his messages, has reminded us that God gives lavishly. How much better it is for us to bring our requests to God, and instead of telling him exactly what to do, we say, Lord, this is our request, and we pray that your will be done. Jesus in the garden didn't even tell God. He just asked, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He was God, but he did not demand things from his father. As I continue as an old man, there's another thing that God teaches us as we go through life. God tells us to wait. Now can somebody give me a verse that tells where God tells us to wait. I thought so. That doesn't come so easy. <laughs> That's not really part of our thinking. Do you sometimes wonder about God and his timing? God is timeless, yet we're tied to time. And speaking to Moses, when he called him to lead the children of Israel, Moses said, well, when they ask who sent you, tell them, I am have sent you. God has no past. God has no future. Everything is present with God. In my limited human condition, I sometimes wonder how he sees time. And all he says is, wait. When it comes to accepting Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, then he says, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Yet, when it comes to seeing what he will do with our requests, he says, wait. I sometimes wonder about God having a sense of humor. Because right at this point as I was typing this, my computer batteries ran out on the keyboard and I had to wait before I could continue The Bible says, be silent in the Lord's presence and wait patiently for him. Where do these verses come from? The Psalms. Who wrote them? David? Did he know what he was talking about? He was anointed to be king of Israel as a lad. Then after a while he was invited into the king's palace to play the harp and twice he escaped being put to death by the spear that Saul had in his hand. Later, he was chased by Saul and was in danger of losing his life and had a perfect opportunity to kill Saul two times, but he would not touch the Lord's anointed. And finally, Saul and Jonathan died on Mount Gilboa and David became king. But even then, he had to wait another few years before he was king of the whole Jewish nation. Yes, he knew what it meant to Wait patiently for the Lord. Why wait? Can you only think of what would happen if he didn't wait? Saul was impatient, and one time when he was about to go to war, and he saw his army was falling apart, and the, uh, um, Samuel was supposed to come and sacrifice and ask God's blessing on their activities, Samuel didn't show up, and didn't show up, and finally Saul says, Well, listen, I can do this. He did it himself, and he lost the kingdom. Waiting isn't just dead time. God uses this time to teach us valuable lessons. If I can be very personal, I remember when I was single and would listen to Charles Stanley on the radio, it seemed his messages always seemed to include wait. If you don't know what to do, he said, then wait. Wait for what? How long? He said, when the time comes to act, you will know. Isaiah 30, 18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Personally, I was alone, and I waited. Eight years. And looking back, those were meaningful years. God taught me many things during this time. He also sent many people to minister to me during this time while I waited for my next move, whatever that might be. And then suddenly, I met Linda, and we were married eight months later. And in the past nine years, I haven't had a moment to regret that move. God is good. The commercial world around us continually tells us to hurry. Have you ever heard, this is only a limited time offer, and... Act now to reserve or to receive all the benefits. Be the first one to have, your, to have this in your neighborhood. And if you don't have the money, just borrow it. The interest rates are low. And so on and so on. Basically, the world continually bombards us with hurry, hurry, hurry. And when do we make the most mistakes? God says, wait patiently. We are so taken in by the word, world's thinking that God's word almost seem offensive. But this is what the word of God says, not I. Psalm 25.5, another written by David. Uh, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Another psalm, wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart and wait for the lord. Proverbs 20:22. 20, wait patiently for him. Another psalm, I wait for the lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. Isaiah, they that wait upon the lord shall renew their strength. Lamentations, the lord is good to them that wait for him. In acts chapter 1 we read that the disciples were told to go to Jerusalem and wait for the father to send his gift of the Holy Spirit. If we try to see the world as God sees it and we see what he wants to make out of us, we have to agree with the one important thing, we wait for God. And I must say we don't find that very attractive. Another thing God wants us to remember is that I'm in every detail of your life. I should add for emphasis, God is in every tiny detail of your life. Jesus said are not five sparrows sold for two pennies yet not one of them is forgotten by God and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered so do not be afraid you're worth more than many sparrows. Well for some of you that thought of the hairs of your head being numbered isn't that difficult to understand but uh when, we, when I comb my hair and a few of them stay in the comb, I just throw them into the garbage and don't even give it a thought. Yet in God's book, something has changed. And if he says they're numbered, I wonder does he have a record that says uh, number force 147 in row M is now history and uh, number 72 in the balcony is gone? He <laughs> says they're numbered. Matt read this Psalm 139, which is a psalm that we all uh, like to listen to when we think of God being with us. And some of the verses says, O oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Let's leave it at that to suffice that God is in every detail of our lives. He's not made the universe and let it spin till one day he'll come back and pick up the pieces of what's left. Another thing that God speaks to us about is that his timing is perfect. For an example of this, let's go back to the book of Daniel. We know that Daniel prayed at his window three times a day and his enemies knew it. I can only imagine his prayers must have gone something like this, Lord, I worship you. Lord, how long must we remain captive in this country? How I long to be back in Jerusalem where I could worship in your, ex- in your temple. And it must have seemed that God had forgotten them where they were in, in captivity. And as he prayed daily, nothing happened. Did God pay attention? Well, wait till we... till they threw him into the lion's den. Just at that moment, the lions lost their appetite for Jews, and God sent an angel to protect him all night while the king was in torment. And the next morning, they did something they'd never done before. They pulled this man out of the lion's den, something they didn't have to bother with when they threw his accusers into the den. We mentioned Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that had been thrown into the overheated furnace. I wish I could have been there to see the king and all his officials standing around when they came out of the furnace. Notice they were bound when they threw, where they were thrown into the furnace, and they didn't seem to be bound when they came out. God must have let the fire go till it burnt off the rope and then stopped before they even smelt of smoke. Is his timing perfect or what? Take another example from Scripture. Abram was promised that he would be the father of a great nation, so plentiful that they could not be counted. Yet he had no child. Sarah was 70 years old, 80, 90, 100. No child. And here's something that we see about God. He waits till there is absolutely no earthly way. And then he comes through. So now everybody knows there is no explanation but that God did it. God wants the glory. Being a God of love and wisdom, this is not a selfish motive, but a cause for rejoicing and worship when he steps in. But the story of Abram and his son uh, doesn't end with the birth of Isaac. God pushes Abram a little further. He tells him to sacrifice this promised only son. And we have this tender scene where Isaac is walking with his dad and he notices something wrong. Dad? Yes, my son? The fire is here. The wood is here. But where is the lamb for the offering? How that must have cut into the heart of Abraham. He goes ahead and prepares the altar, ties up Isaac and draws his knife to slay his son. At that very moment, the angel of the Lord calls from heaven and says, Do not slay that boy. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son. Was God's timing perfect? We could go on and cite other examples like uh, Esther, her uncle who directed her to risk her life to save the Jewish people, used the words that summarize the whole story. Who knows but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. Sometimes God throws us into difficult situations. While we are in them, we are at a total loss as to what is happening and what we can do. We're in the dark. We pray. And the only answer we get is, trust me. When Paul uh, prayed to be uh, relieved of a problem that was really bothering him, the only answer was, trust me. The lesson is not learned in a day or a year. But God continues to bring situation after situation into our lives where we can't do anything but ask again and again. And all we get is, trust me, my grace is sufficient for you. Just one more thing I want to mention. That God wants to speak to us and says, I love you. And of course, if I'd asked for a verse, you would all say John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves the entire mankind. Sometimes we may think that he loves us a little more because we've responded to him in faith. But this verse tells us that God loves the world. Jesus showed us this time and time again as he associated with publicans, sinners, sinners, the hated tax collectors, the poor, the grieving, the outcasts, and the sick to show that God loves the world. That shows us how he wants us to look at the downtrodden, even in Killarney, in cities, in foreign countries, because all of mankind is the object of his love. And we could think about that where we like to put people in different classes and say, well, God, uh, he's good with the Mennonites, but, uh, with some of the other uh, people that we know. No, God says, or Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He doesn't only... I find it hard to think about the fact that God really loves me. He doesn't only tolerate me, but he loves me. His thoughts are not my thoughts, his ways are not my ways, and I have to leave the difficult situations to him that he actually loves people. Well, a good sermon makes one point, and here I've made five, that uh, can form a pattern to guide us. And I hope that by the time you've eaten your lunch, you'll remember at least one. I said, God says to us and says, Trust me, wait, I'm in every detail of your life, my timing is perfect, and I love you. Now, you do, if you don't remember any of this, at least remember to trust in the Lord with all your heart. My prayer is that even when we think we have forgotten what was said, the Holy Spirit will bring God's word to our memory at the exact time when we need to remember it. May God bless us as we ponder these thoughts.